Amen. Amen. Everybody doing all right this morning? Yes. Good. Good. That's great. That's great. Man, we are glad to have you. Thank you for joining us. As Will said, whether in person or online, we are so very thankful for you tuning in to Lindsay Lane North and what God is doing here. We've got a lot going on as a church. Uh, we do a lot. Uh, some would argue sometimes we may do too much, uh, but we are excited about being in this community. We're excited about what God's doing here and through our church, through a corporate assembly on Sunday mornings, through our home groups as well uh, as as everything that we've got going in our community and missions and those sorts of things. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Last week, we're in the middle of a series entitled, Synced. Uh, we are agreeing with God in prayer. Uh, again, we talked about last week that prayer is not something that is so, it's, it's for us to jerk God to our will. It is something to align ourselves with God's will. It's not so much about changing God. In fact, it's nothing about changing God. You can try to change God all you want. The, the problem is he is unchangeable. It changes us. It informs how we respond, how we live our lives. And so we talked about confession last week. It is important. It's vital for us to understand that we must be where we need to be with the Lord in order for God to use us. And so confession is a vital aspect. It is a part of the discipline of prayer. When we pray, as we grow in the area of prayer, and by the way, I say grow and I say discipline because these are things that aren't necessarily coming natural to a child of God. They're things that we have to grow in. Scripture intake and those, those sorts of things are things that we have to grow in. I know this may be news to you, but every time your pastor wakes up, I am not just dying to get into God's Word and pray. Sometimes I wake up and I'm tired and I want to go back to bed. Sometimes I'm lazy, Right? And so it's our discipline to remain in Christ that is so vitally important. And so you look at a man like David who had everything as the world would say would be important. But yet he was in misery with unconfessed sin in his life. And so I believe that God is going to do something specifically. And I'm not nearsighted enough to only believe that God can move in Easter. But the reality is that many people who may never come on any other Sunday are coming on Easter because it's a spiritual high day in a normal, at least North Alabama, belt buckle the Bible belt calendar. I'm there on Christmas and Easter, right? And so, and so we're, we're preparing for that. We're getting ready for that. But for God to even use us well beyond just what's going to take place in a couple weeks. And so after looking inside at confession, today is about intercession. So last week we were agreeing with God about ourselves. Today we are agreeing with God about others. And so what does it mean for us to agree with God in prayer about others? Yesterday, we had a work day at the high school and elementary school. There's a lot 
of work that's required. There's a lot of work that's still required, right? Lulu tackled an entire swamp that was housed in the middle of the school. It was amazing. Uh, and, and we worked, uh, worked ourselves uh, all, all yesterday, yesterday morning into the afternoon, uh, doing a lot of things just to make our community, make our school look better. Again, we, we want to meet those needs. We are in the community for the community. You will hear me say that all the time because that's what we want to be. And, and a lot of times I don't celebrate things like I should. I'm not much of an encourager. But thank you for those of you that came out. I see some of you in this room that came out and were a part of that work day. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for helping extend that arm. We want our arms as a church reaching into the community so that when someone in our community needs the church, we're the hand that they see, right? That we can, we can minister and we can be there for others. And so, and so we were working in a, in a work day and, and we decided, we probably admittedly bit off more than we could chew, uh, we decided to completely change a flower bed in the elementary school, and uh, which involved railroad ties, uh, which involved a hammer drill, which involved rebar, uh, pickaxes, and we just we were neck deep in it for a long time. And there was a particular point where we knew we needed this drill, and I didn't come prepared. <laughs> I don't have many tools. Uh, I count on my father-in-law to give me tools, which they're in town this week. So he, he actually gave me a hammer or an uh, impact drill, like my first ever impact drill, right? And so some of you men are like, well, that's a staple. Well, I didn't have the staples until just recently, okay? Uh, and, so, and so I didn't have the tools. So I went to my good friend Larry, which if you need a tool... He's a great resource, and I use it all, use him often. And so uh, I went to my good friend Larry and got a hammer drill, brought it back to the school. It was electric, and, and we got ready to put the holes in the railroad ties and for the rebar, and we realized, well, we're missing something. This would have come in handy last week. And so I went on a 20-minute wild goose chase. You would think at a school would have plenty of extension cords because things, power needs to be extended places, right? You would be wrong. Uh, there are not many extension cords at Elkmont, so don't at the school. So don't go looking for them there because that is a fruitless endeavor. I came to the church and got the extension cord that we could use. Why? Because I had the right tools. But as long as I didn't have a way to extend the power to that tool... The tool was hopeless. It was helpless. There was no reason to even have the tool because we couldn't get power to it. I view intercessory prayer the same way I view this extension cord. We live in a world that is lost and dying. We live in a world of brokenness. And we as the church are connected to infinite power. We are connected in a relationship with Christ. And so God has given us this infinite power, and the goal of an extension cord is to span a gap, is it not? To span a gap from the tool to the power source. I believe we as the church are called to span the gap between the lostness of the world and the power that's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're the extension cord, right? There's nothing powerful in us. In fact, this extension cord in my hand right now has zero power. Why? Because it's not connected to anything. And so as we are connected, then we show the power of God 
in our life. We're this extension cord. And so we do that most clearly through intercessory prayer. And so we're going to look at three things that intercession holds. Three things that intercession is required in intercessory prayer so that we can be agents of redemption to a lost and dying world. The first thing we're going to look at is, number one, a posture toward others. Look in Romans chapter 12 as you turned there. Can we pray before we do that? Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, God, get me out of the way. Communicate your message to your people. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your word as you speak to us today, that we would respond to you. Lord, we love you. Be glorified by every word and every thought and every meditation of our heart. In these next few moments, in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. A posture toward others. If we are to live a life of intercession for others, if we are to span the gap between the lostness of the world and the wonder that is found in Christ, then we must be people that strike a certain posture toward others. First, we see a posture regarding the body of Christ. Romans 12, beginning in verse 10. Listen to what it says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. A church that at... To date, he had not visited, and he is telling them how to live a life with the posture of a servant. And he says there, love one another with brotherly affection. So this is talking about brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. The word is philos. It is a brotherly affection. So as the family of God, this is how you should love one another. I de- <coughs> Excuse me. I teach FP Kids, do FP Kids at the elementary school, and I love it. Uh, FP Kids is a perfect example of what I'm good at. I'm the face guy. Like, that's just, I'm the front man. Like, that's just what I am. I don't know about the face guy. That may be a little too specific. Maybe not. Um, I'm the front guy. And Will and Jeremiah and some of these folks know, Joseph, certainly our children, they they understand how much it takes to make the face guy look good, make the front guy look good. Uh, but I'm the front guy. And so I get to goof off and be a goofball with these, F, with these little elementary kids as they come in and we share with them Christ and have a great time together on Tuesday mornings. If you're not a part of that, your child's not a part of that, we'd love to have them a part of that at Elkmont. And so as I'm talking about the love of Christ, I ask a question. Hey, how, many, how can you show the love of Christ to somebody? And so I get all kinds of examples, right? Some that make sense and some maybe not. That's right, sweetie. Okay, move along, right? And so it always comes in things like this. I can... If my friend is, is hurting, I can help them. Or if my friend does this or does that. Do you know what none of those elementary kids ever said? They never volunteer, I can help my brother or sister. Right? I can be understanding and patient, patient with my sibling. 
right? They never volunteer that. Why? Because sometimes ministry is hardest to the family, right? And you can get people that don't mind going to Azerbaijan to share Jesus with somebody, but they don't want to go to their family because there's going to be drama, right? And we got to live and we got to sit in that drama for a while. And so we just don't want to do it. If we are to love one another with brotherly affection, we are to literally, in the King James it says this, we are to Show preference, give preference to one another in honor. We are to place ourselves as servants of Christ. We are to place ourselves and our needs and our personal desires under the needs of others. Can I tell you one of the great dangers of leading a church like this? A church contemporary in nature fixed in, in, in this community, different from, from, from other churches, there's a great danger in leading a church like this. There's a great danger in becoming a church that is dictated to by its preference. That people come not because of what God can fill them with so that they can take out of here, but they come because they like it. Now, this worship style is every bit in my preference. I love what we do here. But this is a method. It is not the meaning. And the danger is that we make the method, we make the style, the end all and be all. I'm at church because I enjoy it. We become very consumer minded about how we view church. And so church is a place that I get poured into. But can I tell you, rather than being a church that pours into you, I desire to be a church that sends you out. That it's not about how much you can get while you're in here, it's how much you can give after you leave here. Rather than seeing it as a reservoir, I see it as a river that's providing life to the community that God has placed us in. It's mission. And if we're not careful, the, our personal preferences can dictate who we are as a church. That we've seen many a great church fall because somewhere along the way, preference dictated what the ministry of God was supposed to dictate. And we became selfish in our thinking. But we are to give preference to one another. I seek to lead a church that is not known for meeting their own preferences. I don't care if you like what we're doing as a church or not. What I care about is that you are light and salt and you are encouraged to be so when you're here. I seek to lead a church that is not known for meeting their the needs uh, for meeting their own preferences, but for meeting the preferences and the needs of others. If we are to be interceding for others, we have to have a posture of a servant. What does he say there? Outdo one another. Compete trying to place yourself not above one another, which is the American dream, right? But compete with everything you are to put yourself under the other person. You first. No, you first. No, you first, right? To compete to serve and showing honor to one another. And then serve the Lord. The surrendered life is the life of a servant. How you can know that you are in Christ is if in within you is a desire to serve others, to serve God over serving yourself.
My third child is a little girl. I have two older boys, and I have a little two-year-old, Maddie. Maddie is the sweetest thing I love. There's nothing like cuddles, dads, from, from a little girl. There ain't nothing like it in the world. But my daughter is two years old. Pausing for all the, the laughter, because y'all know where I'm going with this. I can fix when a little boy gets upset. I can fix it. I can be the disciplinarian. I can come in with a firm hand. I can spank Heinies if I got to. I can, uh, I, I, can, I can be rough, right? We can go do something else. Like my sons come to me, Daddy, I have a... I can slam their head into the couch, and then we're wrestling, and everything's great all of a sudden, right? I can fix a little boy. Madeline Bell, I cannot fix all the time. It doesn't matter how gentle I am. Come here, sweetie. It doesn't matter how stern... Well, it does matter how stern I am. It's usually to the negative when I'm stern, right? Sometimes she just wants to cry. And my wife tries to explain that to me, and I don't get it. And nor will I ever. Crying gives you a headache. Who wants to volunteer for a headache? Right? That doesn't make sense to me. She needs a good cry. What? What is that? And so my daughter, I can't always fix her. And so when something goes wrong, her response is waterworks. And so there'll be little bitty Maddie-sized tear puddles on our floor where she has just collapsed in a heap, thrown her hands in her head and just started crying. Why? Because something's off. (laughs) Something's off, right? The wind has blown out of the west instead of the east. Or the house is one degree hot or cold than what it's supposed to be. Something is wrong with her. And my daughter, as cute as she is, is selfish. She's selfish. And she wants things the way that she wants them. And she doesn't care about what daddy wants or mommy wants. She wants what she wants. And when she doesn't get it, watch out. She's selfish. I believe this to be where a lot of believers stay in their walk with the Lord. They want things. They want God on their terms. And church is about what it can do for them, not about what they can do for others. That's why I served at a First Baptist Church one time. We always joked when it was election season because we would see all these elected officials or people looking for election come like, we've never seen you before in our life, but we know you are because you're on a billboard and you're on a bunch of people in the front yard, right? Like, why? Because it, church is a way to advance yourself, not a way to advance the kingdom. And so we see this in the church played out. But the life of a surrendered, a surrendered life is the life of a servant. The greatest among you, Jesus said, will be your servant. Before Christ, our mindset was serve me. In Christ, our, mind sh- our mindset should have shifted to serving others. And I'll just tell you guys, there, we are meeting needs. This is what the church does. It meets needs. And we've got needs. With all the stuff that we've got going on, as busy as we are, we've got a lot of needs that need to be met. There are places that you can plug in very ap- applicably, very 
Very tangible ways that you can plug in even right now. Listen, we've got an Easter egg hunt coming up. You can sign up at the Next Steps table today. You can sign up to help with our Easter egg hunt. We are inviting the community to come. Not so that we can give kids a bunch of uh, candy and a sugar rush, right? We're inviting the community to come because we want to be that hand. We want to be that extension, right? We're going and we desire for them to have a relationship with Christ. And so we do things to engage our community. You can serve if you want to, but when you leave today. On the left side, there's our uh, Next Steps table. Sign up. Uh, email us. Let us know. North at lindsaylane.org or you can go online and sign up on the sign up form. However you need to do it to be a part of this. Listen, we're, we're having three different services. Sunday, uh, Saturday night at 6.30. Then we're having a, uh, the normal services on Sunday. We're having full child care on all of those things. So we need people that are willing to serve. Now, there's background checks and things like that that we have to do to ensure the safety of our kids. But you can serve in that. It doesn't take a spiritual gift to wipe a honey, okay? Or to serve on a parking team, directing somebody where to park, right? Those things don't require gifts, but they're ways that we can serve. Why? Because we're giving preference to one another. There's other things. Hospitality, first impressions. Y'all, we need counselors. We need people that when they make a decision for Christ, that we are the plug. We are the, the outlet, right? We are plugging them immediately in to a relationship with Jesus. What an amazing thing to be a part of. Yet it's something we struggle to find volunteers for often. Every believer has a part to play in the life of a surrender. The surrendered life is a life or excuse me, uh, serving the Lord, a surrendered life is the life of a servant. But then it says in Romans 12, 14 through 16, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. This is not speaking necessarily to the to those within the family of God. This is speaking to those outside of the family of God. And what does it say to do? To empathize with the world. To consider the lostness of the world when you begin to talk bad and run down people in the world that are acting like the world. Empathize with them. Rather than to respond in anger or aggravation or frustration or whatever you respond with, think about who you once were. Think about what Christ saved you from. Rather than taking offense to what they say, go on the offense and seek to reach them. Right? To bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Don't respond this way. And in so doing this, you're going to stand out from others. The primary interest, this is in your notes, the primary interest of others toward the church should stem from the church's interest toward others. Why do people care? Because they see you caring. And why would you care? There's no reason in the world, there's no rationale in the world why you should care. But the interest toward others of the church should provide and spark interest in others in the church. Right? And so this is the way that it works. The key characteristics of the church should be selfishness, selflessness. That we are to live selfless lives in order to reach the world. We take the posture of a servant. You will not be a great intercessor for others until you understand and grasp your need, the need 
that they have for you to serve, live as their servant. You won't grasp it. It'll, you'll never get around to praying to others. In many of our prayer lives, man, our, our prayers, they trend about like our life trends, doesn't it? Man, if we got a lot of stuff going on, we're going to pray. Man, if things are pretty good, our prayer life gets exceptionally shorter. Why? Because interceding for others requires that we put ourselves in a position that we're not comfortable with being in. But to see the need in others and to pursue that need for others. Secondly, we see a posture toward others. Secondly, we see a perspective of others. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 7 verse 25. Hebrews 7, As again, I said this is a systematic approach to, to what we're, we're talking about today, not tracking through one verse, but through many verses as it relates to intercession. When, I, when we think of the needs in our community, the needs of people in our community, what are immediate needs that tend to come to mind in discussions about things that Elkmont needs? What, what are things that come up? Food, absolutely. People need food. Right, that one in eight kids, or one in eight families, one in eight people in the United States deal with hunger. That's a real thing, and I would say it's probably higher in a place like Elkmont. Absolutely, tangible need. What else? What are other needs? Shelter, Shelter. clothing. Absolutely, tangible needs. People require. We're a part of Neighborhood Bridges that we just launched this week. Right, this week that is meeting tangible needs in people, and you need to be a part of it. What are other things? Hmm? Financial need. Absolutely. Making ends meet. Uh, paying, paying, keep the lights on. Those kind of things. Love. Absolutely. When we think of things like this, we think in tangible, physical ways. I want to remind you, not every need is physical. Hebrews 7.25 over and over in Scripture, in fact, through Hebrews, it talks about the Holy Spirit in Romans. It talks about the Holy Spirit making intercession for us. Jesus interceding for us. If we are to intercede for others, what should be the focus of our prayer for others? Listen to Hebrews 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So he makes intercession for us. It's amazing that a God who, who loves us, a, a God that did everything for us, who gave his son for us, right? Who, who made a way for us to have eternal life, who made it as easy as possible for us, is not done. He's still interceding for us. That should blow your mind because it blows mine. That he's still active in interceding for us. What is he interceding for? Anytime we read of the Holy Spirit or our intercession on our behalf, it's not about the physical needs. What does he say? He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. What is he interceding for? He's interceding for salvation. He's interceding for closeness, for relationship with him. In your notes, intercession doesn't stop at seeing the needs of others, but at seeing their greatest need. There is nothing at all wrong with meeting physical needs. In fact, we need to be active in doing it. 
That is, that is a function of the church, is to meet needs. Shame on us for making the government have to step in for the church. You can talk all you want about, uh, about things that the government does and what they should have their hands in, they shouldn't have their hands in, but ultimately... Early in the church, it was the church meeting those needs, not us. We're to blame for this. We haven't stepped up. We haven't been the charitable arm of Christ to meet needs. Right? And so, and so it's not, doesn't stop at just seeing the need, though. It stops at seeing their greatest need. Think about the paralyzed man that had his four buddies climb him up to the roof. Tore open the guy's roof. It doesn't say what the homeowner felt about this, by the way. I bet he had a few words. <laughs> yeah, he can walk. That's great. Um, Jesus, <laughs> time to get Judas to fix this. this. Is the treasure? Time to get him to fix the roof. Okay. Uh, but the emphasis is on what the paralyzed man getting to walk. He's paralyzed from from birth, right? The emphasis is on the dude walks, and we're like, man, because he walked, he was so excited. But when you read the scripture, what did Jesus address first in this man? The man is dropped down as Jesus in mid-sermon. He's dropped in in front of him, and Jesus says to a paralyzed man, never known what it was like to walk, says, Your sins are forgiven. The message that was for the man was not for his legs, not for the physical need. It was the spiritual need. That was the message for the man. And then what happened? Well, who are you to say that his sins are forgiven? I can't believe. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? And what did he say? What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And then he said this, so that you will believe. The message for the man was your sins are forgiven. The message to everyone else was get up and walk. Prove it. Jesus saw the physical need after the spiritual. Jesus addressed this physical need after he addressed the spiritual. The man left excited. Yes, I'm sure the legs were a plus. But his need, his spiritual need was forgiveness. And Jesus saw right to it. For us, if we're to intercede for others, we need to understand this battle is not physical. It is spiritual in nature, which is why we need God's help. It's why we need to be people of prayer, linking the power of God to the helplessness of the world. This is what God desires in his, his plan for prayer. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says. People describe intercession by saying it is putting yourself in someone else's place. Right? I want to intercede for others because I would want them to intercede for me. I'm putting myself in your place. That is not true. Intercession is putting yourself in God's place. It is having his mind and his perspective. When God looks out across this community, he doesn't see poverty He doesn't see race. He doesn't see political affiliation. He doesn't see gender. You know what he sees? Lostness. And for us to intercede for others doesn't mean just interceding for symptoms of problems, but for the problem itself, for the sin, sickness of the world that we live in. 
This is the perspective we are to have. Not of us putting ourselves in their place, but putting ourselves in God's place and seeing people the way that he sees people. God, when I go to a ball game, give me your perspective, not my own and not the perspective of somebody else. God, when I go to my classroom, give me your perspective on others, not someone else's perspective or my own perspective. Give me your perspective so that I can meet needs that are greatest in the world that I live in. So we see a posture toward others. We see a perspective of others. Lastly, we see a power for others. Exodus 32. We'll be in Exodus 32 and then we're going to skip over to Acts 12. Jump. That's more of a jump, I guess. Herculean leap than a skip. But Exodus, and then we'll be in the New Testament in Acts chapter 12 for our last passages for the day. But over and over we see amazing things happen as a result of the power of prayer for God's people. First place that we we see that, a great example of that is Exodus chapter 32. We talked about the Mosaic Law, but what we didn't talk about in very much detail is the golden calf. Remember, as God was giving Moses the law, Israel started sinning. They made the golden calf and they worshipped it as their God. Listen to what it says in verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. I'll still be faithful to my promise. I'll make a great nation out of you, but I'm going to destroy everyone else. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And then Exodus 32, verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bring on the people. God relented. If you're reading a different translation, your translation may say, and God repented. What does that look like? For a God that is unchangeable to repent. How is that that possible? This is the easiest way. There's so many theological ramifications to this. And you've probably heard this over and over. Many have offered this question. Here's what I would give you as an example. When I say this morning, I saw the sun rise. Did the sun really rise? No. What did the sun do? Stayed in one place. What happened? The human perspective is it, it rose. But what we really know, because of science, now we know that the earth is spinning, the sun is stationary, and we, when we observe it, it looks like the sun rises. And when I say the sun sets, is the sun really falling in the sky? No. But it's a human perspective. When we talk about the attributes of God, oftentimes it is very difficult to to remove the human aspect of it. And so what I would say to you is the repentance of God, the changing of God's mind, was simply a human perspective. Now... I'm not, that's not to belittle the prayer of Moses. Because you may say, well, what if Moses never prayed? <laughs> you know, what if he never prayed? Would God have destroyed him then? Well, 
I would respond, well, what if it rained gumdrops outside? Well, it's not. And it, it isn't going to, I don't think, right? And so we can live in hypotheticals all day long. The bottom line is God is sovereign. God knew what was going to happen, but to the human perspective, God, God's heart, God's mindset had changed to the human perspective, to Moses as he was praying, as he was interceding for God's people. To the human perspective, God had changed his mind. Listen to what Martin Luther said. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. A lot of times we feel like that, don't we? God is reluctant to bless us. God doesn't want to do good things to us, right? He, he doesn't want to give us whatever it is. And so we have to pray real hard, and then finally God will be like, oh, okay, you know. And we're, but we're, when we pray, we're not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. God is willing and able and ready to save. And although the people that we come in contact with that don't have a relationship with Jesus, though the destruction of God is reality for their life, God is not reluctant to save them. He is willing and he is able and he is ready. And so for us to pray for a lost world is for us to grab hold of the willingness of God to move on their behalf. Because Moses was praying for physical destruction. How much more should we as the church pray not against physical destruction, the death of others, but the spiritual life of others. Eternity hangs in the balance for us. And so God has the power to save others from destruction. And so because God works through the prayers of his people, whether it's through our perspective or not, that God listens to the prayers of his people. And so we should intercede as servants to them. We should intercede in seeing their lostness. We should intercede saving putting ourselves between them and destruction. But then look at Acts 12. Look at Acts 12 as we close. So Peter was kept in prison, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. James had already been killed, and they liked it so much he arrested Peter and was going to kill Peter. And so Rome had the intent, Herod had the intent to kill, put to death, these disciples one by one. Peter was being prepared for execution more than likely. But earnest prayer for him was made, by, made to God by the church. Listen to what it says in verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. We know that the angel would eventually lead him completely out of the prison. While Peter was still in his zombified, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something, you're in this zombified state, right? He didn't really come to until he was standing on the road outside the prison. God delivered him. Regardless of what Rome had intended, because of the prayer of God's people, God delivered Peter from that danger. There is 
power in our prayer. There is power not just in the prayer for our own confession because we really want God to answer that, don't we? We really want him to forgive us. Do we pray just as earnestly for the forgiveness of others? For the redemption of others? Because we're not just talking about freeing from a physical prison. But we live in a world that is shackled with sin. That is completely without hope of freedom. But Jesus came so that we could declare freedom to the captives. He's given us the message not to be freed from a physical prison, but be set free from a spiritual prison. God has called us to be active in his redemption process. Finally, in your notes, while God's power is not dependent on your prayer, we depend on prayer to witness, to bear witness to his power. While God's power is not dependent on our prayer, we depend on prayer to bear witness to his power. God is sovereign and God is at work. But if you desire to see God work, if you desire to see his power in your life and in the life of others... Prayer, intercession is how that happens. He's not dependent. He's not dependent on all of our prayers because some of our prayers are flat out sinful, right? Some of our prayers are outside of his will. But prayer is how we bear witness to the power of God. It's how we become part of God's redemptive story. He can do it on his own, but it's not the plan. The plan is to use his church. So his, our prayers don't dictate to him but it gives us the opportunity to be a part, to witness the life change of others. Can I tell you that's the most incredible thing about being a pastor? Is to see God working in others. God's called you to the same thing. As a minister of the gospel, God has called you to the same exact thing. Maintain a posture as a servant. Maintain the perspective, not just seeing physical needs, though they might be big and in your face. See to the lostness of others. Put the uh, spectacles of the Spirit. See people the way God sees them. And then finally, understand the power of your prayer, the heart of God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you need to make a decision for Christ, as I said before this Extension cord is nothing that provides, is incapable of providing power for itself. Maybe you today realize for the first time, maybe you want to make a difference. Maybe you want to see the power of God in your life, but you recognize that you are disconnected from that power source. You're disconnected from a relationship with Christ. You're the most important person in this room. I know this message was designed and tailored to those that are, have a relationship with Christ, but if you don't have that, this message was dead on arrival for you. But God has made a way through the love and sacrifice of his son to have a relationship with you. And so if you're here and you need a relationship with Christ, don't leave this place without doing business with God. As I step down off this stage, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this invitation. To respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying in your heart and in your life. 
Maybe he's calling you to relationship with him. Maybe he's calling you to relationship with others. Maybe he's calling you with a relationship to this church. Whatever decision you need to make, I want to give you that opportunity to respond today. We're going to do some things a little different in just a moment. But right now, this invitation is for you. If you need to do business with God, I want you to respond. This altar is open. You are welcome to come and pray about whatever it is that God has laid on your heart. But we would love for you to respond. We've got counselors that are waiting to talk to you, connect you to the relationship of Christ. Father, have your will and way. Get us out of the way. Spirit, move.